Natural MD Radio, your place to hear the whole truth on health and medicine for women and children and get the tools you need to take back your health naturally starting now. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. Migraines are psychological manifestations of women's inability to manage stress and emotions. All right, you guys know that's not what I think. But that is the opening line to an article in the New York Times that appeared in April of 2016 called Women's Emotions Do Not Cause Their Migraines. And in fact, that was not the belief of Joanna Klein, the author either. She lists that as the opening misconception and goes on to say that actually neurologists are very clear that migraines are a real debilitating medical condition related to temporary abnormal brain activity. But what's really interesting is that for centuries, doctors explained migraines as a woman's problem caused by emotional disturbances like hysteria. And get this, hysteria is from the Greek word hysterikos, which means uterus, or due to depression or stress. And bizarrely, according to Anne McGregor, who's the lead author of a British Association for the Study of Headaches Guidelines for Diagnosing and Managing Migraines, the recommendation for a cure was marriage. While we no longer recommend marriage for migraines, in fact, some women may be listening to this and chuckling and thinking just the opposite, depending on uh, what, what your marriage is like right at this moment. I've been in a 33-year marriage, so you know, there are those moments. But in reality, we do have great medications now that can be helpful for offsetting and preventing migraines, but they only work for about 50% of women and only about two to 3% of women who have migraines are getting adequate prevention. So I want to first welcome you back to a new season of Natural MD Radio. Thank you for your emails asking me when Natural MD Radio is coming back. And to those of you who missed it, we're back. And to those of you who are new to the show, welcome. This is the place where I, Dr. Aviva Ram, a Yale-trained MD, midwife, and herbalist for now 35 years, tell it like it is in women's health and children's health. And we talk about everything from food to natural remedies to health politics. And migraines are a really fascinating area because they really include a bit of all of that. Most women who have experienced migraines know the intense level of suffering that uh, can occur, missing sometimes days a month or, as one of my patients did, days a week due to migraine suffering. And 75% of all migraine sufferers, and there are 36 million migraine sufferers, so 25% of that are women in the United States who suffer from these debilitating headaches. Yet often and historically, migraines were dismissed by the medical community as, and I'm doing air quotes, just stress or depression or emotional instability. In fact, they were dismissed as all in our head. Now, migraines do in fact originate in our heads. And until recently, it was thought they originated in the vasculature, but actually they originate in the nervous system. And uh, migraine sufferers have a nervous system that has a lower threshold to cross over into a migraine 
experience. We have what's actually called a migraine generator in a part of our brain called the brainstem. And a number of different factors, which I'm going to talk about in a minute, act as triggers. And when you're exposed to these triggers, if you have a low set threshold, which may be due to a combination of a variety of physiological sensitivities and a combination of that genetics and environmental exposure, you're more likely to develop a migraine. When this migraine threshold is crossed, it sends a brainwave across your brain and that triggers a series of uh, unfortunate events if you are a migraine sufferer. And what happens is this wave ripple goes across the surface of the brain and nerve cells with selected nerve branches and their vascular structures get triggered. And that causes them to relieve chemicals called neuropeptides from the nerves. These particular neuropeptides cause inflammation in the small arteries of the brain, which then stimulate another uh, chain of events, which is the release of blood platelets, which are clotting factors, and also the uh, neurotransmitter serotonin. This leads nerve impulses to get transmitted back to the brainstem. And the brainstem then is a, it's a very primitive part of your brain where our nausea and vomiting centers are located. It's also a place where uh, we get triggers to sensitivity to light, balance, and a number of other triggers that cause the migraine symptoms along with pain from the activation of the, the nerves. This pain fiber activation can also cause some of the other symptoms of migraine that are very common, like pain in the sinuses, nasal congestion, and, and tearing. Migraine triggers are very common factors that we're exposed to in the course of our daily life and can include things like caffeine, red wine, alcohol, aged cheese, sugar, nitrites, which are found in hot dogs and deli meats, food additives, MSG is an example, low blood sugar, so skipping meals, stress, allergies, hormonal changes, and we're going to talk about hormonal changes in women in just a minute and why women are so much more sensitive to uh, developing migraines than men, certain medications, and any chemical odors, perfumes or detergent kind of perfumes, chemical triggers that you might be exposed to, for example, in a Home Depot or uh, for very sensitive sufferers, it can be in an elevator with someone wearing perfume. So what I want to share with you today are the steps that I follow in my medical practice in working with women who are migraine sufferers and helping them to get to their root causes, helping them to find the appropriate set of supplements and herbs that can help reverse migraines and prevent migraines, and learning how to avoid the triggers that can be so particular for migraine sufferers. Now, first, let's just talk about briefly why women are so sensitive, uh, more likely to develop. I mean, 75% of all migraine sufferers being women, and that's a substantial number. And we see this kind of phenomenon, not just with migraines, but with many conditions, autoimmune conditions, for example, are predominantly found in women. 
And the biggest culprit, if you will, is probably estrogen. We know that migraines can be related to the menstrual cycle. A lot of women get menstrual migraines, which is just sort of the double whammy of having a migraine and then having your period at the same time. And because there's an inflammatory component to menstrual migraines and also to menstrual cramps, sometimes those are coming hand in hand and really just kind of taking you out and knocking you down. So, you know, it can be quite debilitating. We also know that major fluctuations in hormones can affect migraines. And we also, on top of that, know that as women enter into menopause, migraines tend to go down because we're having a diminished exposure to estrogen during that time. So they're hormonally related. And in another podcast that's going to be coming down the road, we're going to talk about something called estrogen dominance. So some women who have higher levels of estrogen for a variety of different reasons may also be more predisposed to being triggered by their own hormones to developing migraines. And also all of us are being exposed to a sea of what are called xenoestrogens or environmental estrogens that may act as a trigger. Pregnancy is interesting in that uh, migraines can either stay the same drastically improve or increase. And we see the exact same phenomenon for women who go on oral contraceptive pills. I talk about oral contraceptive pills in an upcoming podcast. It should be episode uh, 61 or 62. I'm about to record that one. So you can look for that one in a week or two if it's not already up when you're listening to this. But women who start on an oral contraceptive pill similarly may experience an increase in migraines, a decrease in migraines or resolution of their migraines or headaches in general. If you do have migraines, it's extremely important to either read my article on oral contraceptive pills, which is already on my website, or listen to the podcast because migraine sufferers, particularly migraine sufferers with an aura, are at much higher risk of developing stroke and blood clotting uh, with oral contraceptive use. So please check that out. So let's talk about what you can do if you have migraines to prevent them. Now, keep in mind the typical medications like propanolol, which is a beta blocker, and um, the triptan medications like imitrex, sumatriptan, for example, prevent migraines. Either you're taking them throughout you know, your lifestyle to prevent them, or you take them at the onset of a migraine to, as we say, abort the migraine, to stop the migraine in its tracks. What we're going to talk about today are core things you can do on a day-to-day basis to change your inflammatory status to prevent migraines. Certainly hormone balance is going to be an important piece of this. And so I want you to keep that in mind, but a lot of what we're talking about today will also help your hormone balance. And um, I'm going to give you my top supplements that are strongly evidence-based for preventing migraines and one that you can also use instead of the uh, medications that you take at the onset of a migraine, which I think you're going to find really exciting. Whenever possible, I always go to the natural approach first. So if we can do something preventative with diet and lifestyle and known safe herbs and supplements, those are always my first go-to. And I say that for several reasons. One is that they very rarely have side effects. When you compare and look at the studies that put a medication head-to-head with a botanical or nutritional supplement, you almost never see side effects with the botanical or nutritional supplement, and you almost always do with the medication. 
most of the time in the cases that have good evidence behind them, the botanicals and the supplements are far safer with much longer known history of safe use than the pharmaceuticals. And finally, you know, I do have a bias in that the pharmaceutical industry, the medical industrial industry or medical industrial model is profiting off of our suffering. When we need those medications, they are a blessing. And as a physician, I don't hesitate to use them when they're really needed. I'm happy to write a prescription when something is truly indicated. But we have been sold a bill of goods that our bodies are lemons, that natural approaches don't work, and that we, to some extent, become necessarily dependent on pharmaceuticals to answer our problems. And so much more of our healthcare is in our hands than we have ever been led to believe. And our bodies are, have such more robust repair mechanisms and healing mechanisms than we've been led to believe. And many of the conditions that we've been told are just sort of random or genetic, or you have it and you have to live with it and thus be dependent on pharmaceuticals actually can be prevented and reversed by addressing underlying or root causes. In my medical practice, I have put patients on beta blockers. I have put patients on migraine preventative medications when they have first come in, if they have severe frequent migraines, while I am bridging them onto the natural supplements, and then we take the medications off. But more often than not, I have had patients come in who are already on those medications. And within weeks to months, we are peeling those medications out 100%. And very, very commonly, they stop having migraines with any significant frequency and sometimes maybe don't have a migraine at all, including patients who have had migraines multiple times a week who can go down to having migraines once every few months to even a couple of times a year or not at all. So, you know, as a medical doctor and as a midwife herbalist, my goal is not to bias you one way or another. I feel like it's all in the realm of the tools that are available to us. But in the same capacity as a physician, as a scientist, as a healthcare practitioner, and hopefully sometimes a healer even, my goal is to always help you start with the safest, lowest intervention, effective tools. And like for so many conditions, diet, lifestyle, and botanicals in migraines, in my opinion, are that place. And then we reserve the pharmaceuticals for when we really need them. So I'd like to walk you through six steps to preventing migraines naturally. And the first step is to identify migraine triggers. Now, I often recommend using a migraine diary. And below this podcast, I've given you a link to my article on migraines. So you can have all of this information readable and easy to access. And in that article and also below this podcast, you're going to find a link to a super helpful headache diary from the University of Wisconsin Integrative Medicine Center. I usually give this to my patients. You can download it and start to track your migraine patterns. And what you do is you use it to start to identify any triggers that you were exposed to. I usually recommend in the 12 hours prior to the onset of the migraine. So what did you eat and drink during those 12 hours before? Were you on an airplane and you, you know, slept funny and maybe it's actually your neck that's bothering you and it's just a really bad headache? Or did you walk through Home Depot or the supermarket and walk through the aisle with heavily scented detergents or perfumed products 
Were you at a party where people were wearing perfume or smoking? Or were you at a party and had red wine? Are you a few days from your period? And what can happen is that in the moment when you get the migraine, first of all, you feel horrible. So you're not really thinking, what did you just do in the 12 hours before? But it may be that you get migraines so infrequently that you're not putting the pieces together. So you get one every four months or every six months and it knocks you out for three days and you think, you know what? this is just random. I have no idea what happened. But if you start to pay attention, you may actually notice, you know, this happened last time I went to dinner with my girlfriends and I actually had some red wine then too. Or it may be that you do start to notice if they're around your period and they're pretty regular, you probably know that you have menstrual related headaches. The other thing is if you're getting migraines very frequently, there may be so many things that you're exposed to that you're not really noticing any triggers particularly. So starting to track when you're getting the migraine, what time of day and what you were exposed to can really help. If you feel too sick to write it down, ask a friend to write it down for you, help a friend, you know, walk you through the last 12 hours and record it or wait until the migraine's done and really try to track it back. But having this migraine diary and starting to identify your triggers is a powerful start. Now, I don't usually recommend waiting to figure out all your triggers before you start step two, which is an elimination diet. The first thing I do with all of my patients, in addition to identifying any triggers they might know of and helping to eliminate them or working to identify triggers is also to do an elimination diet or what I call in my my medical practice, the Thrive Reboot. And uh, I recommend a minimum of 21 days to remove all of the common triggers that I mentioned, which are, of course, written in the um, blog that you can link over to below this podcast. And in addition to those, gluten and dairy. When you are gluten sensitive, and particularly if you truly have celiac disease, it can cause a wide range of symptoms that have nothing to do with your digestive system. And so taking it out for three weeks is a really great test to see if that might be causing your your migraines. And then additionally, dairy. There are components in dairy that for some people may be a migraine trigger. So for three weeks, at least, you take out all the triggers. Now, If you get migraines frequently, three weeks is probably enough. If you're having a migraine once or twice a week and you take these things out for three weeks and the migraines pretty much go away, something you were getting exposed to probably was the trigger. In addition, it's not just your diet, but you want to do your best to eliminate your exposure to perfumes, keep your blood sugar steady, incredibly important because it's not just what you take out, it's what you get. And if you're if you're having low blood sugar because you're skipping meals and that's a trigger for you, just taking things out won't be enough to figure it out. So it's really important to make sure that your meals contain good quality fats and protein and that you're also hydrating enough. If you only get migraines once every couple of few months, then you actually probably have to stay on the elimination diet for a significantly longer time and try to avoid triggers for a significantly longer time to see if that offsets the next migraine or two. Now, if you do get more frequent migraines and you're able to do this elimination process for just a few weeks, then what you do is after about three to weeks up to six weeks, you start to add in one at a time, only every few days, one of the triggers. So for example, you might add gluten back for three days 
No migraines come back. You might do just fine or no other symptoms come back. Gluten may not be the problem. Similarly, you may try to add in some, you might have a drink of red wine, maybe have a quarter glass or half a glass. If you have a migraine that evening or the next day, there you go. That's probably a trigger for you. Now in my book, The Adrenal Thyroid Revolution, I walk you through a step-by-step elimination diet And also I walk you step-by-step through a process that can help you to identify your triggers, but also identify what to do if you do have food triggers. Some of them may be due to changes in your gut, like leaky gut or dysbiosis, which I talk about in my book. I talk about extensively on my my website in articles that you can read more about, look for healing the gut with the 4R program. And you'll find a link below the podcast for that too. One of the most common digestive system problems leads us to the next step, which is getting your digestion moving. In my clinical practice, constipation and migraines I have seen go hand in hand. Now, I have not seen scientific evidence that bears this out. I have not seen any studies on constipation and migraine. But clinically, I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, if you're struggling with constipation, one of the most important things you want to do is treat your constipation. You can do that with increasing the fiber in your diet. You can use Uh, magnesium citrate, about 600 milligrams a day before bed to get your bowels moving the next day, and bitter herbs. And there's a link to bitter herbs below that can help you understand more about how those can help the digestive system help you get a move on. Uh, I had one patient in my practice who came in and she was in her late 30s and had suffered from migraines since her late teens. And when I asked her at her initial visit, did she have regular bowel movements? She said she did. And when I asked her to say, you know, how often? She said once every two weeks. Nobody had ever told her this was not normal. And it isn't. We should all be having a bowel movement once a day at least. It should be an easy to pass, fully formed, well-formed, healthy bowel movement. And, you know, if you go traveling or you're under a lot of stress, there may be a day once every few months or once in a while that you skip, but that should be the far exception to the rule. For this patient, we got her bowels going with a combination of increasing fiber in her diet, starting her on magnesium. I added flax seeds to her diet. Within two weeks, she was having normal daily bowel movements or almost daily. It took a little while to get to daily. It was more like every couple of days at first. But lo and behold, this woman who had had to change her job and her lifestyle because of the frequency of her migraines went her first month after her bowel started moving without a single migraine. Over the next three months, she maybe had one migraine and became essentially compared to what she was, which was several times a week of migraines, migraine free. This is not an uncommon story. So please get your digestion moving You know, I speculate on the many reasons that uh, the migraine constipation connection may be happening. And we know that there's a tremendous connection between what's going on in the gut and what's going on in the brain. Now, migraines are not all in your head, as we talked about, but they do start in the brain. And we know that what happens in the gut affects the brain. What happens in the brain can also affect the gut. 
inflammation in the gut can cause inflammation in the brain. Leaky gut can cause general inflammation, changes in your gut microbiome, which can cause constipation or be a result of constipation, can likewise change the messaging and signaling that's going from your gut's enteric nervous system to your brain. So this is, I think, a wonderful area for study and I think very important Clinically, if you have constipation and you have migraines, it's a great place to start. One other interesting piece to think about with constipation and migraines is the estrogen connection. We know that estrogen is both produced naturally in our bodies, but also we're getting exposed to environmental estrogen. And the way the body makes that non-toxic and eliminates it is by breaking it down in the liver binding it up into little chemical packages, delivering that package to your intestines, and then we eliminate it through a process that involves our microbiome and pooping it out. So if you're not eliminating that estrogen through your digestive system, what actually happens is something called enterohepatic recirculation. The estrogen in the gut, which is actually now a slightly more toxic form, is reabsorbed goes back through the liver and enters your circulation. We know that there's that estrogen migraine connection. So one of my speculations is that constipation may be involved in that excess estrogen burden for some women. So get your digestion moving. Now, number four may really surprise you. And most people don't know this. And in fact, a lot of physicians forget this, but there is a phenomenon called medication overuse headache. When you take pain medications for headaches, including narcotics, Tylenol, aspirin, ibuprofen, and an ibuprofen-caffeine combination, which a lot of the -the over-the-counter pain relievers that we use for headaches and our periods include on a regular basis, these medications can actually start to backfire and cause headaches. So MOH, or medication overuse headache, is a known medical phenomenon. They can make your headache and migraine frequency and severity worse. And here's the thing, it creates a vicious cycle because who would ever think that their ibuprofen or their Tylenol is causing them to get more frequent, worse headaches or their narcotic, right? You just don't think of your Percocet causing your headache. So what happens is people then start to think, oh, I must not be taking enough medication or the headaches, the migraines are getting worse, so I need to up my dose. And then you create that vicious cycle, more medication, more headaches. So what I recommend is to actually start, and I know this may sound just absolutely terrifying if you suffer from headaches, if you suffer from migraines, but you can do yourself a tremendous favor and reduce your headache frequency, your migraine frequency and severity just by coming off of these medications. Now, I don't want to leave you high and dry. So in this article and podcast, the related article and podcast, I will talk with you about herbs and supplements that you can use at the start of the migraine. And also there is a link to a separate article just on my favorite herbs and supplements for pain relief that you can use. So let me just recap so far. We've got four steps. You're going to identify your migraine triggers, do an elimination diet, get your digestion moving. And yes, try to really, really try to reduce your use of common pain relieving medications. Now, propanolol and the triptan medications like imitrex, sumatriptan, don't fall into the category of medications that increase migraines. However, they do have their own side effects. So on a scale of sort of, you know, what's available to us, 
I do say if you have migraines, if you suffer frequently, it's totally appropriate to keep those medications on hand and use them if you need to. But try these other steps. Try the preventative botanicals instead of the preventative medications if you feel confident doing that. The botanicals I'm talking about actually can be used safely with the medications. In fact, one of them I'm going to mention, you may be surprised to find out that it can actually increase the effectiveness of the propanolol and allow you to even lower the dose of that, which is nice because sometimes those medications can have their own side effects. And the nice thing about the botanicals and the supplements is they typically, and certainly the ones that we're talking about in this podcast today, have been found to be relatively side effect free. So that brings us to step five, which is to use herbal and nutritional supplements known to prevent migraines. And here's the thing, you really need to use these for at least four to six weeks before the jury is in on whether they work for you. Most of them take that long. The exception is ginger, which can be used to actually offset the migraine. I mentioned to you that there's going to be one that you can use instead of your pharmaceutical to offset the migraine. And then if you need to add the pharmaceutical in, you can. I'm going to circle back around and talk about ginger in a little more detail in just a minute. The first supplement that I put all my patients on if they are migraine sufferers is called riboflavin. It's vitamin B2 and the dose is 400 milligrams a day. It's been shown to safely prevent recurrent migraines by 50% compared to 15% for placebo. And that's a huge amount. Its benefits are likely due to the increased efficiency of your cellular mitochondria, which are little organelles in the cell called the powerhouse of the cell that help to produce ATP. They help with nerve system connections. They help literally with the cell firing of, of energy. And riboflavin is considered safe for use during pregnancy. In fact, it is the recommended pregnancy migraine prevention supplement, if you will. And I mentioned there's one that you can take if you're on a beta blocker like propanolol for, for migraine prevention. Riboflavin has actually been shown to enhance the benefits of the propanolol. So you can use them together and it may even allow you to lower your dose or get better results from the dose that you are taking. So all patients pregnant, breastfeeding, generally riboflavin, 400 milligrams a day. It can take up to a month to see effects. So hang in there with it. You can use any of the ones I'm mentioning in this podcast with your Imitrex or other migraine abortive medication and with your beta blocker. I, you know, of course, always recommend talking with your prescribing practitioner and you can bring in this article that's associated with the podcast. I've put the references below and I really try to do that. So if you have a skeptical physician that you're working with and you want to work in collaboration, you can, you can also show the evidence whenever it's available. Now, the next supplement that I usually add in at the same time as the riboflavin is magnesium glycinate. Magnesium glycinate in a dose of 600 to 1200 milligrams a day can be helpful in migraine prevention and it has been shown to be particularly effective for people who are low in magnesium. Now in my medical practice, I do check for red blood cell magnesium in my patients. Not all doctors will check for that, but magnesium, about 70% of us have been found in the United States by the World Health Organization to be magnesium deficient. So in general, most of us can actually benefit from at least 400 milligrams of magnesium supplement a day. 
And if you're suffering from migraines, um, migraine sufferers have been particularly found to be low in magnesium and magnesium is particularly helpful for those migraine sufferers who are low in this mineral. So my recommendation is rather than, you know, wasting the time and money on the red blood cell magnesium test is just go ahead and add 600 to 1200 magnesium a day, which can help migraine prevention in general. If you have migraines associated with your period, it may be especially helpful. You want to take it for at least three months to see results, but hang in there with it. And of course, this magnesium is uh, absolutely safe while you're pregnant and breastfeeding. If you're struggling with constipation and you're using magnesium citrate for that, then use a combination of the two start with the citrate to get you to a dose where you're having a regular daily bowel movement and then supplement to an additional amount to a maximum of 1200 milligrams a day. Really the only precaution with the magnesium is that if you are on a blood pressure medication or you're on the propanolol, magnesium can lower blood pressure. So just be careful of your dosing with your blood pressure medication. If you start to notice that you're feeling at all lightheaded or your blood pressure is starting to get lower, you might actually be able to lower your dose of your blood pressure medication or propanolol for migraine prevention, but talk with your, that you definitely want to work with your doctor about. Now, the third supplement that I usually use as sort of a trifecta in combination for all my patients with migraines is the magnesium riboflavin with the addition of ginger. You usually have to get these separately, take each one as a separate supplement. And ginger, in a study of 100 migraine sufferers, the study was split into giving sumatriptan at 50 milligrams, which is a common drug used to stop migraines at their onset, or ginger powder, 250 milligrams. And what was found is that the migraine sufferers had equally decreased severity of migraines within two hours of taking either the sumatriptan or the ginger. And both groups were equally satisfied with the pain relief, and there were far more side effects in the sumatriptan group. Ginger is traditionally used to treat pain and inflammation and, more good news, up to a gram a day has been found to be entirely safe for use even during pregnancy. It's used during pregnancy for prevention of uh, nausea. So this triple threat of riboflavin, magnesium, ginger, safe while you're pregnant, safe while you're breastfeeding, safe in combination, and fabulous migraine prevention. So I usually start with the elimination diet and working with these supplements. Now, if I have a patient who comes in with severe migraines with a lot of frequency, or we try these things for four to six weeks and they're getting some benefit, but maybe not a ton, or maybe they're not getting much benefit, then I will start to add in some other supplements. And I will it really, it kind of depends. There's not a hard science. There's not a hard protocol. So it's some combination of talking with my patient, finding out what it seems like maybe the reason for them. Do they have other signs of a mitochondrial problem, in which case I might use the CoQ10 I'm about to talk about? Do they have depression? I might use the 5-HTP I'm about to talk about. Do they have sleep problems or travel a lot? I might use the melatonin, etc. There's no right or wrong. Again, start with the three that I've mentioned, the riboflavin, magnesium, and ginger in combination together. And then if you need more or you want to start out with more because you have more severe frequent migraines, you can add in and pick and choose. 
technically, you could use all of these together if you wanted to, with the exceptions that I mentioned for use during pregnancy, for example. But it's sometimes overkill. You don't need to use eight supplements at once. Start with a few and then add in. But you can use your personal discretion on that. And again, if you have a local practitioner who is well-versed in integrative or functional medicine and nutritional supplements and botanicals, that's a great resource to be able to use and help you sort through all this. But there's, you know, you can do a lot amazingly on your own. So the additional supplements, uh, a few of which I've mentioned are melatonin. The dose for that for migraines is three milligrams a day. Results from one multi-center randomized controlled placebo study with a double blind showed that three milligrams of melatonin was more effective than placebo and had similar effects to that of 25 milligrams of amitriptyline, and it was safer and better tolerated. It was also associated, interestingly, with lower rates of daytime sleepiness and no weight gain, uh, which you can see both with the amitriptyline. And, you know, you'd think taking the melatonin might create daytime sleepiness, but it it actually uh, doesn't. And I have no safety data on the melatonin during pregnancy, so I don't recommend it during pregnancy, but it is safe during breastfeeding. And like the other supplements that I've mentioned, it may take a few weeks of daily use to really have an impact. So stick, you know, stick with these things if you're trying them for a month before you decide the jury's out. The next supplement is 5-HTP, 200 milligrams a day. That's been shown to be helpful in preventing migraines in several studies with better effects than a number of pharmaceuticals. And it probably works by regulating those serotonin levels I mentioned. And also it's been found to increase something called endorphin, which is a natural pain reliever that's a little bit like morphine that's produced in your body. It's safe for use while breastfeeding. And uh, this one I recommend taking for at least six months for best results. CoQ10 works a lot like riboflavin. Now, I don't recommend using the CoQ10 instead of the riboflavin, but you can use them together. It is safe during pregnancy and the dose is anywhere between 50 and 200 milligrams a day. I use it in a form called ubiquinol. And much like the riboflavin, it works to increase that energy powerhouse of the cell called mitochondria. And many women report getting benefits, tremendous benefits, when they started adding CoQ10 to their uh, migraine prevention protocol. Fish oil is also effective during pregnancy. Now, it's been shown to be effective more in the reduction of frequency, length, and severity of headaches, not particularly so much migraines, but headaches. But it is an effective anti-inflammatory. Many of us are low in essential fatty acids, and I recommend a 1,500 to 3,000 milligrams a day of a combination of EPA and DHA. And 1,500 a day is certainly safe during pregnancy and while breastfeeding. It's an important supplement for our baby's brain development as well. Now, two supplements that you cannot use while you're pregnant that have had great studies, they're herbs for migraines, are feverfew and butterbur. Feverfew is an herb that acts as a natural anti-inflammatory. It reduces migraine frequency and severity and also lowers migraine-associated symptoms. The dose is 25 milligrams a day. And the important thing here, again, is it's not for safe use during pregnancy. You can use it while you're breastfeeding. And it's not for you if you're on blood thinners. It can increase the activity of your blood thinners and increase your bleeding. Finally, butterbur, which is also called petasites. And you want to make sure that the bottle that you purchase says PA-free. That means it's free of an alkaloid called pyrolizidine 
which has been shown to cause liver damage. But if you get the PA free, which most of the products that you'll see on the market are, just make sure you check the label, totally safe. But again, not for use during pregnancy. It's fine while you're breastfeeding. It's also an anti-inflammatory that's been shown to lead to a significant reduction in headache frequency and migraines. The dose is 75 milligrams twice a day. And again, it can take several months before you notice improvement, but I, I, it's really worth giving a try. It also interestingly helps with the symptoms of allergic rhinitis. So if you get a lot of allergy related headaches or sinus congestion, it can be helpful for that as well. So again, you can take these supplements together or just take the first three, the ginger, riboflavin, and magnesium, see how it goes. Once you find the combination that works for you, you can stay on it indefinitely with the exception of the herbs that I mentioned to come off of if you are trying to conceive or get pregnant. Now, I said there were six steps to migraine prevention, and the sixth is following an anti-inflammatory diet and keeping your blood sugar balanced. Reducing the pro-inflammatory foods in your diet, artificial ingredients, artificial sweeteners, processed foods, flour products, the uh, denatured flour products, like white flour products, excessive consumption of red meat and poultry, which can be inflammatory, while making sure to add in a wide array. Really, we're supposed to be getting eight to 10 servings of vegetables. And I also recommend dark, the berries, blackberries, raspberries, blueberries to promote health and reduce inflammation can also reduce your headache frequency. And as I mentioned in the beginning, it's super important to keep your blood sugar balanced. Now I talk about this in articles over on my website and also in the Adrenal Thyroid Revolution, my book, which you can find more information at, at the link below. My hope is that you find the combination of lifestyle approach, uh, food and nutritional changes, and herbs and supplements that allow you to feel like you can take your life back, where migraines become a thing of the past or so infrequent and so minor in the least that you can say, okay, I've got this. And it gives you the tools you need to not just take back your health, but to take back your life. I hope this has been informative gives you hope that there are things that you can do, particularly if you want to come off of pharmaceutical dependence. If you feel this information is helpful, hopeful, inspiring, you want to make sure other women hear about it, please make sure to hop over to iTunes and drop a comment and drop a like on the um, blog page if you head over there to look at all the details and doses which you can find over there. And until next week, when we return with our next episode of Natural MD Radio, I wish you the best possible health and living your best life. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Natural MD Radio. If you did, please go to avivaram.com and join the conversation about the show on my blog. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. It's free and it's jam-packed with powerful tips to help you take back your health naturally. That's avivaram.com. Take care and see you next time.